Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Big stories. Big guests. The big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, Canada looks set to uh, surpass a, a bit of a grim milestone today as uh, Canada's uh, total death toll from COVID-19 is expected to pass 5,000. Uh, most of those, in fact, or a majority of those are, are in Quebec as uh, they are near 3,000 deaths uh, just in the province of Quebec. So certainly Quebec has been uh, especially hard hit uh, by this virus. And I suppose, um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of studying as, as to why that was or why that is. Um, but in terms of the overall uh, impact of, of COVID-19, you know, do, do we have a clear picture of that? Now, obviously, you know, a lot of deaths are occurring uh, in, in hospital or in long-term care centers where we're trying to monitor things closely and, and people are being tested for COVID-19. But in all likelihood, we're probably actually missing uh, deaths related to COVID-19. And when you look at some of the numbers from other jurisdictions that keep track of, of deaths, all deaths, deaths from all causes, and release those, uh, the, those data more frequently, you see that in all likelihood there probably are a number of deaths related to COVID-19 that we're not catching. You know, people who are dying at home, for example, or, or people who just uh, aren't being tested. We, we don't release that kind of data in Canada, at least not as, as frequently. But Statistics Canada says uh, they are going to release some data along those lines sometime uh, this month, maybe even potentially sometime this week, uh, to compare overall deaths in the first three months of 2020 with those in the first three months of 2019, to give us some idea of you know, how many more deaths we're seeing, uh, maybe to give us a, a clear understanding of the impact of this virus. Uh, and, and certainly that's important. Let's uh, get into that. I want to talk a bit more about uh, some of these questions. Very pleased to welcome the program uh, here this afternoon to talk more about this issue. Uh, Dr. Uh, Rewat uh, Dionandin is an epidemiologist and associate professor of the Faculty of Health Sciences, University of Ottawa. Thanks so much for joining us here this afternoon. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, as I say, we have the the official death toll um, when when it comes to COVID nineteen, uh, which, as I say, is I, I think now around five thousand, so pretty significant. But wh- why is it important to get a, a clear picture of, of what's going on in this country on this front? Well, this is not so much a, a health uh, crisis; it's a health systems crisis, and a health systems crisis is battled with numbers, with data. Unless we have good information, we can't tell the full extent of the epidemic. We don't know where to apply our resources, and we don't know how accurate our models are. So it's, it's critical to understand where the disease is, how serious it is, and how many people it's affecting. Now, you mentioned in your, your intro that we're probably undercounting the, the death. Absolutely true. But a lot of the narrative coming out of more conspiratorial circles says that we're overcounting the deaths. So it's right. important, if for no other reason than to combat the, uh, the conspiratorial narrative and to get a solid grasp of the numbers. 
Right. It, 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 explain that a little bit more. I mean, it does seem strange to me, but as, as best I can understand it, I think there's a theory that, uh, you know, hospitals are, are just quick to, to ascribe any death uh, to, to COVID-19 and that maybe some people are dying for some other reason and it's just being counted well, as that? Is, that. is that basically it? I like to use the analogy of HIV AIDS. For the longest time, we didn't know how many people were dying of AIDS in the early days of the AIDS epidemic in the 80s right. because there wasn't a line on the death certificate to, to account for that. So people don't die of AIDS. They die of an opportunistic infection that's been accelerated by AIDS. Similarly, mm -hmm. people don't really die of COVID. They die of the pneumonia or the heart disease or systems failure that's been accelerated by the COVID. So let's say you die of, of COPD, of extreme pneumonia and you have, happen to have COVID, uh, yeah, you died of this one thing, but was it the COVID that pushed you over the cliff? Sometimes that's a quality judgment by the physician that's signing the death certificate. So what a lot of places are doing, like the CDC, is saying if you died and you tested positive for COVID, we will count that as a COVID death. Now that is seen in conspiratorial circles as being a deliberate overcount to inflate the seriousness of the disease, when in fact it's an undercount, as you mentioned in your intro, because we aren't capturing that vast number of people dying in the community who we don't even know about. And, and it's not data that we have access to yet in Canada, but we do have data uh, from other countries, the United States included. And so it's, it's pretty stark when you look at either last year or a rolling average of five years, deaths from all causes compared to this year, it's, it's quite a difference, isn't it? It's remarkably high. Uh, the CDC has a pretty good graph on their website showing what's expected or what actually did happen. And what are the deaths that did happen that probably weren't due to COVID. And the number of COVID deaths is, is quite stark. In fact, in some places in the world, it's estimated to be double the, uh, the death toll. In Canada, I don't think it would be that bad because one of the factors that compels people to die at home is the inability to seek health care because they can't afford it. So socialized medicine you know, free medical care for all is a disincentive to die at home without being tested, but it still happens. So in the earlier days of the epidemic, people were probably having what they thought was a bad case of the flu that wasn't being diagnosed and they're dying. Keep in mind that, that the death counts, the official death counts are only amongst those who test positive for the disease. We weren't testing everyone who was showing symptoms early on. Mm -hmm. right. In fact, we still aren't. Um, so what the CDC has done and some other countries as well and some provinces is if you show a number of symptoms that we think are COVID, we're going to assume that you have COVID even if we don't test you. And that helps to account for um, some of the data gaps, but it's not enough. We need to have this excess mortality approach to really get a solid sense of what's happening. Uh, and at the same time, too, I mean, there's the question of how many people have had this uh, and and the number of deaths obviously helps give us some understanding uh, of either the case fatality rate or perhaps the overall infection fatality rate but there's the other side of it though and knowing how many cases there have been and, and what the true infection fatality rate is so how, how do we get a better understanding of that right so talking here about essentially dividing two numbers the number of deaths divided by the number of cases so you mentioned the case fatality rate and the infection fatality rate, and your audience sounds well-educated to know that they're different things. The case fatality rate is the fraction of cases that we know about who die, and the infection fatality rate is the number of people who actually do die who have the disease that we don't even know about. So uh, the best way to get the denominator to compute the infection fatality rate is a prevalence study, a random sampling of the population to test for the existence of antibodies. 
So that's been done in some places in the world, most famously in New York, and they found like a 14.9%, I think it was, prevalence rate, and that gave them an infection fatality rate of about uh, 0.8%, I think, or 0.9%. So that large denominator will lower the infection fatality rate, but the increased numerator of counting the true deaths will increase it again. So unless we do both of those things, we are getting a proper sense of the scale of the lethality of this disease. So they're both critical to answering that question. Right, and and so certainly it'll give us a better understanding of of what that that fatality rate actually is. Uh, At the same time, in terms of, you know, getting back to the question of would there be people who are are not seeking medical care, who were dying at home, how how are we missing those those individuals or what's preventing them from seeking medical attention? I mean, are those some of the questions that that maybe this this will help us answer, at least maybe questions we should be exploring? Oh, absolutely. This is a systems failure at many levels. So if we are discouraging people from seeking care and from seeking testing, then we might actually be accelerating their path to death. We need to understand that if we're going to fix the system. There might also be people who have chosen the palliative path. So if you're dying in a nursing home where you're already under palliative care and you happen to get this disease, we probably don't know that you should be counted in those numbers. Also consider that in an outbreak scenario, let's say an outbreak starts in a nursing home and we discover that there are three cases that test positive for COVID, we're going to assume that everyone else has been infected. But when they die, we won't count them as COVID deaths because we didn't do tests on them because we stopped testing after three or four because we assume they have it already. So that's the kind of procedural process that we seek to conserve our resources. We don't want to waste too many tests. We know they're going to be positive anyway. That, in fact, lower the data quality. This is an ongoing issue between resource conservation and improved data quality. And we need both of those things if we're going to get out of this, uh, you know, with our skins intact. Um, So it's an opportunity for the administrators to throw money at the problem and to throw a lot of it at the problem. I've been saying for the longest time that the way out of this is to spend money and to do some good old-fashioned management. This is no longer a scientific problem. It is a management problem. Well, what does that look like in practice, though? Well, um, let's say that we aren't in a pandemic scenario, but one is coming, then if we have the capacity in place to do a remarkable amount of contact tracing and testing as soon as the first cases arise, then we can identify all the cases quickly and isolate them and quarantine them and prevent outbreaks from becoming epidemics. That's the goal here. There are always going to be a handful of cases here and there. We want to prevent those handful of cases from becoming outbreaks and prevent the outbreaks from becoming epidemics. So unfortunately, that probably comes with some, you know, uh, denudement of our civil liberties to some extent with the contact tracing and things like that. But that's the price of safety in the era of pandemic. Well, we see, I mean, South Korea is a good example of a country that's been very aggressive when it comes to to testing and tracing, and they've been quite successful. But, you know, even despite that success, now they've got this situation where one individual who had gone to a few nightclubs, it's now led to, to a few dozen new cases. So it, it, it can escalate quickly. Absolutely true. And the, the positive of that story is that they were able to trace that person and they were able to figure out which that comes went to. So I imagine if they weren't able to trace that person, it would be completely out of control. But because they had the technology in place and the infrastructure in place, they were able to contain it, perhaps not as quickly as they would have liked. But we are not there yet. If that were to happen here, we're a little bit lost for what to do. So we have to move fast to get the infrastructure in place and to not just to contain the disease, but to feed the data nerds like me so that we can make the proper decisions and make the proper models so that we can plan better. 
This is very much a planning exercise, and planning exercises take good data. Absolutely. Well, we'll see what uh, that StatScan data looks like and uh, go from there. We'll leave it uh, there for now, though. Uh, Dr. Dianand, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All the best. Uh, that is uh, Dr. Ray Watt, uh, Dianandin, uh, epidemiologist, associate professor, faculty of health sciences, University of Ottawa. Uh, so, you know, they're eager to see what, what additional information we can glean from, from the uh, Stats Canada data. Uh, the latest we have is, is from 2018, so we don't have the numbers from last year. So Stats Can, for whatever reason, takes some time in releasing this. Uh, British Columbia, though, has released its all-cause uh, mortality data uh, for March and April uh, of uh, this year and last year. Now, BC officially has 111 deaths attributed to COVID-19, uh, fairly close to, to Alberta's death toll. Uh, but looking at the all-cause mortality data for March and April this year compared to last year, it shows 170 excess deaths. So does that mean that, that maybe some COVID deaths in BC have been missed? Uh, and it's also interesting because when you look at those numbers for, for say, March and April, compared to last year, uh, you know, things like traffic fatalities have likely declined this year since you've got so many people staying at home, so few drivers on the road. So it, it doesn't necessarily demonstrate that each of those excess deaths is automatically COVID-19, but it can kind of give epidemiologists kind of a better understanding maybe of what the total impact of this has actually been. Our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.